welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Do you have big ambitious goals? Well, if you do, you are in the right place because today on the Move Daily Health Podcast, we are diving into goal setting. So welcome back. I'm Dane Wallace here again with Freya Spence. And this is going to be a continuation in our season two where we've spoken about getting more into the human body, paying attention to our inputs and outputs. And in the last episode where we spoke about generalizations and how they can be harmful to the body versus the habits that actually make the human body quite resilient. So today we're taking the next step and we're going to dive into the process of goal setting by analyzing SMART goals, which is the acronym S-M-A-R-T, goals. So before we dive into that, I will just remind you to please subscribe to our podcast. Please share it to anybody who you think it would be valuable to. And as always, you can follow us on our socials at move underscore daily underscore EDS or go to our website at movewelldaily.com where you can find all our blogs and podcasts and all of our content. So to dive into today's podcast, why are we discussing why are we discussing smart goals? Well, we are health coaches and people come to us with goals. So we have helped people craft their own smart goals. We have had people come to us with their own smart goals. And a lot of times what we find is that those are super rigid and ultimately become ineffective. They can lead to guilt shame cycles, unhappiness, and really don't match up with the person. Um, with health and fitness goals, We always find that they're really ambitious, which is great, but life happens and we have to be a little bit more flexible with these goals to really see them through a lot of the times. Um, So if you're an elite athlete, you need deadlines. If you're at work and you're working on a project, you need deadlines. But if it's a goal that is more focused around your health and feeling really good, it's not something that necessarily has to happen within this rigid structure because like I just said, life changes. And you have to adapt with the changes that happen in life because it's not the end goal and then you're just finished with your health. Your health is always there forever, so you have to adapt with the times. So Freya, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, just that the number one thing is uh, SMART goals, that particular acronym, is something that we see in mainstream fitness. So you see it in business, it's used in a ton of different settings. But you see it in fitness rather than in other types of healthcare. So in the injury and rehab setting, we never really saw SMART goals. Sure, we had goals, absolutely. Uh, we wanted to get people back to whatever their performance was and, and so on and adapt tissues. But it wasn't using this acronym. So this acronym, the first time I came across it, was in a general fitness population where all of a sudden a lot of coaches and trainers are taught to go through the SMART goal process with clients. And as we mentioned, having systems can be helpful for sure. Uh, They can also be rigid. So when it comes to long-term health and long-term motivation, the SMART goal structure has some pros and cons to it. So we're going to work through the pros and cons and then give you some examples of it along the way to help really elicit uh, the points that we're trying to get to. Right. So for those of you out there who are not entirely sure what is this acronym, uh, S stands for specific, M is measurable, A is attainable, R is realistic, and T is time sensitive. Uh, Now, Frey, I think, mentioned that this is sometimes used in a business context or otherwise, so some of those acronyms may have a slight change to them. But those are the general premises, especially within the fitness industry, that is specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time sensitive. So to give you an example of some of those goals that we might see within the health and fitness industry is 
we written down a few here. I want to have a six pack by the end of the year because this would be a metric for my health and proof that I can spend time on myself. I'm going to do more cardio, clean up my diet, and start strength training three days per week. Or I want to drop 50 pounds and gain energy in the next eight months by tracking, then cutting back on calories daily and drinking less alcohol through the week. And some of the sort of performance-based ones, whether somebody's a competitive athlete or not is, uh, is not necessarily uh, an influence here. Um, we see these performance-based ones even in people who aren't competitive because they, setting a goal, like we've mentioned, it can be very helpful. So a couple of the examples that we see most commonly are, I want to deadlift X number of pounds. I want to squat this many pounds and press this many pounds by this time next year because I value strength and because I want to keep my muscle and bone mass. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week and hire a coach for training or programming where appropriate. Another one that we see commonly in the more endurance side of things is I would like to run a sub 330 marathon six months from now because I've run a 345 and want to qualify for Boston or another race next year. I'm going to run five days a week and commit to stretching every day. And we also see other ones that are more skill-based. So I want to be able to do handstands and backflips because they look cool. Believe it or not, we do hear that. Yep. <laughs> and I can practice them anywhere, which means I can be consistent with my five days of training per week, and I'd like to achieve this by next year. So those are all examples. Today, when we go through the SMART acronym, we will be working with like generalization ones. We're not going to specifically dive into any one of those. But if you can put yourself in and around any of those as goals that maybe you have chased. So yeah, I've thought I want to be that fast or run that distance. Maybe it's not time-based, maybe it's a distance or you, you do want to achieve that certain body composition. Um, you want to put yourself into that and then we'll go through the SMART goal and, and dive deeper into the pros and cons behind each step of the system. So the issues that we run into first and foremost, is that they become really outcome-based. So we already mentioned it. The outcome is a certain amount of weight whether your own body weight or whether it's something you're lifting. The outcome can be also motivated extrinsically. So maybe you think that handstands and backflips are the key thing to do for you because it's what you've seen so much of. And you just like, oh yeah, a ton of my friends do it, so I want to do it too. Those are very outcome-based and not necessarily uh, really sinking into the process part of it. In addition to that, a lot of the extrinsic motivation can come from shame. So we know this would be a, a deep dive into another <laughs> rabbit hole, so we won't, deep, uh, we won't go into it too much. But a lot of goals come from shame. And, and that's one thing that we do want to confront and understand that trying to motivate yourself from a point of shame will always fizzle out. In fact, it will just invite more shame because the shame cycle is not a productive one. So if we can motivate ourselves from things that, and we'll get into this in a little bit, that are more in line with our values and what we'd like to do instead of this shame about how our body looks or about, you know, in our world of coaching about, you know, you're a coach who can't do X, Y, Z, that's fine. There are a lot of shame layers that need to be confronted uh, when it comes to SMART goals. So the other challenge with this outcome-based way of doing things is that sometimes people will succeed. A lot of people will succeed. And they'll succeed having pushed through something that was motivated by shame or to prove someone else wrong. And they'll have pushed through something to get that six-pack or whatever. And then they'll be miserable. 
but the way our society is structured sometimes is that they'll still have a lot of cheerleaders. Like we've seen strong athletes uh, get a ton of injuries in competition and everyone is sitting there cheering them on, being like, it's okay, you'll be back to it, you'll do this. And on the one hand, you're like, oh, that's a super nice thing to say, they're encouraging. On the other hand, no one is standing there supporting like, could it have been done differently? And you obviously don't say that when someone's acutely injured, no. but like that should be somewhere along the line. Or someone who has has achieved a drastic weight loss and they're miserable. Well, unfortunately, our society just praises that shit. There's like, you look amazing. Maybe they have an undiagnosed gut disorder and that weight loss was not intentional or the weight gain wasn't intentional, whatever it is. Um, we do want to make sure that those smart goals stay well away from being motivated by shame. And if they are, it's something um, obviously to address on an individual basis with your coach and with other practitioners. Yeah, and then a lot of times those goals uh, that people might accomplish will then be thrown up on social media. And even though they feel like crap, if they got to their goal, they'll put it out there and everyone's so proud of them and happy and giving them positive reinforcement and then thinking, oh, like I should do that too. And then, hey, there's that guilt-shame cycle if you're somebody who hasn't gotten to that goal because maybe you have an injury or something bad happened to your life. Again, life happens. But this is where social media will take that and it will just exacerbate absolutely everything. So that's very much an extrinsic motivator. And if that is the primary driver, you're you're starting from like right behind the eight ball. So Dane, how do we prevent smart goals from becoming stupid? Well, we cross-check them with two other filters. So the first one that we would have you go through, and so if you have your acronym, Set them, set them based on how you think is great and perfect and how you would deliver it to a coach or start your process. But before you do that, go through and check each letter of that acronym with these two filters. And that is, first one is why versus why not. So if you set a specific goal, why is that the specific goal you set for yourself? Why, what's it going to bring to you versus why not? So this ties into your values and your motivation. And you want to and you have to. And we'll get into those details a little bit later. But having that filter to really challenge why and why not most specifically will really help you fine-tune it for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, the second part is addressing the life factor. So how and when are you going to be flexible? Because sometimes within the sort of SMART acronym, when it comes to health, remember health is dynamic. We're not machines. So we love systems. Systems can be very helpful for helping us follow, again, a process towards something. But we don't want to get so rigid that we continue going the exact same way, even when life has shown us that we need to change gears or, or to a different lane or, or whatnot or rejig the system to suit our current needs. So we need to go through that process of why and why not. And then we also need to address like when, how, and why will I be flexible? Because it's very being flexible and acknowledging your reality is completely different than finding excuses. Finding and creating excuses is a different ballgame. Being flexible and realizing that adjusting your sales to continue moving forward isn't giving up. It's not a failure. It's not an excuse. It's the fact that you're a living organism and you need to keep adjusting to the reality of your life as it goes on. Yeah, and so within what we're talking about today... I think Frey already mentioned this, but we'll be speaking kind of generically. I'll be touching base on nutrition-based type goals, specifically the one that I see a lot is weight loss by a certain date, whereas Freya will be speaking more about 
performance metrics by a certain day. So whether in a gym, a race, a big event, something like that. So we're going to use those as examples to help kind of coach people through how you would change a typical SMART goal into something that is more fine-tuned for yourself. So let's dive right into that acronym and start with S, so specific. So why is this important? Well, it gives us something exact to shoot for. So specificity is important because you want to know if you don't have a specific goal, you absolutely have nothing to shoot for. You're going to be floating around in space. Now, potential downfall of this is it doesn't leave much room for flexibility as we were just discussing. If there's no flexibility within a system and you're going for this specific goal, you're just laser focused and you're not allowing any of a reality to sink in and actually impact your process. So as I just kind of mentioned, motivation and values is where you want to tune into for the specificity of your goal. So if I'm saying I want to lose 20 pounds by a certain date, what is it about losing 20 pounds that is important to you? What is it specifically about that number? Is it how you're going to feel when you're 20 pounds lighter? Is it what your body's going to be able to do when you're 20 pounds lighter? Is it clothes you're going to fit into? Is it just feeling comfortable in your body, maybe improving your health, confidence? You have to dig into what is the actual feeling and value that I hold that is going to make that number important for me. Because a number on a scale I mean, you don't see that every day. It's, you don't see it. It's not a tangible thing. You can weigh yourself and get a number, cool, but it's a really fleeting goal that doesn't really have much to do with how you feel and live in your body every second of every day. And now when I'm talking about values and how you identify those, if you haven't ever thought about what are your core key values, um, we've probably spoken about this on the podcast before, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's something you should go and do. And two books that we can recommend are Dare to Lead, Dare to Lead, and Peak 40, um, because these two books have a section within them where they give you a list of values and coach you on how to kind of go through that list to identify your key two values. Because if this goal that you're chasing, 20 pounds by a certain date, is not in line with your values, why are you going to want to continue doing the things you need to do every day to get to that goal? So we want to make it very specific to who you are as a person and really get down to that goal because maybe you get halfway to that goal. Maybe you're down 20 pounds, or sorry, 10 pounds of that 20 pounds. And maybe you feel great. You're lighter on your feet. You can play sports without your knees hurting. Maybe you fit into some clothes that you didn't think you'd be able to fit into and you're still only 10 pounds where you thought you'd be. Is that enough? That might be enough. That might, you might have accomplished your goal without getting to that specific number because that's now more in line with how you feel in your body every single day. So really when it comes to specific check in with your motivation values and make sure that everything lines up with really how you're feeling. Yeah, and on the movement side of things, it does go hand in hand with values. So uh, I'll give you an example of one of mine uh, that may seem evident to, to some, but I'll exemplify it with uh, a couple things, is health. So for me, making a decision is really easy when it will be health giving versus health taking. So if something is going to rob me of health, it's super easy for me to say no to it. There's no temptation because my top value, the one thing that will always lead me that way is something that's health giving. So somebody who's more financially motivated, uh, and there's no harm in that, for example, but say they're, they're told, okay, you could work X number of hours more and earn this much more, or you could get more than six hours sleep. 
someone who has that and that sense of security and they, they really, that drives them more, they're willing to sacrifice that health for that financial gain. Eventually, you know, there's, there's balance, of course, it would probably be a temporary thing, but that's just an example of like the overall filter. If friends want to get absolutely, this was like in my 20s, <laughs> smashed every single weekend, I wasn't doing that because I wanted to get up and train the next day. So I might stay up with them um, for some of the night, but I wasn't, you know, I just wasn't drinking copiously because it just wasn't interesting to me. The repercussions for that the next day were so horrible to my body that it was just not worth it. Um, so that's where a value, you can most easily identify it based, especially when it comes to, you know, the movements and nutrition, any aspect of health is where you would, like, it would definitely be the thing you pick when presented with multiple options. Um, and granted, a lot of people pick things that go against their values because they think that they have to, and we'll get to the have to, want to a little bit later. So in context of a performance-based goal, when we're looking at, say, more weight on the bar, more weight on the bar, uh, like a goal that's centered around that type of performance or more speed or more distance, or just say it's it's skill-based, like say your, your goal is to just like get back on your feet and be able to run again, for example. Whatever it is, there's a point there where you'll get specific, but you have to acknowledge whether that is actually serving you or not. So what influenced that decision? Because when people pick specific goals, and people are actually quite good at that in the gym. They're very good. I need to do 10 pull-ups. Okay, where did you get that number from? What if doing 10 on a regular basis in, in, in like sets of 10 at a time, eventually your elbows hurt or eventually your shoulders hurt? Then what? <laughs> you achieve that, you're going to drop off. So it's one of those things where we want to be specific. And then, you know, when we contrast the why, why not, when presented with new information, and this is how you become flexible about it, is if you know what your key thing was actually that you just wanted to develop enough upper body proficiency that you could pull your own body weight up, that's an awesome goal. But setting numbers can also be helpful. And then you've got to understand that adjusting that number is equally important when presented with new facts. Uh, I'll give you an example of, of me. My spine does not want a barbell on its back. It just straight up doesn't. I could back squat. And I remember I was back squatting 200 pounds. That's the last time I did it. And I was like, this feels awful. Why should I want this? <laughs> and it's because that was at the time I was being told, you're a good coach if you can deadlift this much squat this much, press this much. It's like 12 years ago, 14 years ago. So we have different filters. But the point there is there, yeah, I could do it, but it, and it was specific. And I could have kept bumping that number, but it did not jive with my system. So other people, it's obviously fine. But my system, it didn't. So I had to take in that information and go against some of what society ha had contributed to that goal, because that specific goal wasn't actually innate in me. It was taught as this is a thing that you should be able to do. Um, and, and we see that too with SMART goals. People used to be encouraged to come in with photos. <laughs> this is gonna sound, it sounds ridiculous as I'm thinking about it. They would say, a coach would say to a client to come in with a photo of someone that they wanted to look like. And there are so many things wrong with that. So but that shows you, it's like, oh, yeah, that's specific. They have this much body fat. This is how much they weigh. These are the things that they do. And it's like none of that was born from yourself. So the point here when it comes to the specificity aspect of your goal, make sure that it is something that is truly yours. 
if somebody suggests something that you think would be cool, like, you know, the, the speed uh, example I gave of like qualifying for a marathon, well, yeah, great. If you've already run something that's pretty close to that, you already have a significant amount of training, then that can be very specific and appropriate to you. And the, the whys are stronger than the why nots. But if you are currently mostly sedentary and someone says, let's train for a marathon next year, that's a specific example that's probably not the best place for you to start. Yeah. Yeah. Speci- I mean, your values are always going to show you when your specific goal is the wrong one. If you're somebody who wants that six pack, you really want that six pack, but you are constantly working more hours than you should, and you're skipping workouts, uh, and then you got to spend time with your family because you all have your family. Well, it becomes pretty clear pretty quick that you value family and wealth more than you value a six-pack. And that is okay. But there's a lot of guilt. People see other people their ages with six-pack, and they're like, well, I should have that too. They're a human who has a family and a job and a six-pack. So why am I a human with a family and a six-pack that cannot have, or a, a job that cannot have a six-pack? And it's just, you know, our values are different. And it's accepting who you are and Maybe the goal for you is, yeah, maybe you do lose 10 pounds, but what is that about? It's not about getting to that ripped lean, I'm going to get on stage look, but what is it within the weight loss piece that is valuable to you? Maybe it's that you can spend more time with your family, which is your value, but that's, you don't need a six pack for that. You just need to be a healthy body weight where you can you know, pick up your grandkids, for example. Yeah, and, and with that specificity, our, our second letter in the acronym is M, and that comes from measurable. Some other systems will use iterations of that. So when it comes to measurable, uh, we consider the process versus the outcome when it comes to measurable. Measurable can be helpful, of course, because you know we measure that we're on track. So we measure a bunch of different things, like did I succeed in training that many days a week that I committed to? Did I hit the competition day or the race day? Did I achieve the weight on the scale? And that's where the con comes in. The con comes in because as much as measurable factors can help us, uh, keep us on, on track and, and know if you know we are following the right methods for that goal, we could be measuring the wrong thing. And, and universally, we feel like the scale is a very risky one because it's one data point. We've spoken about this before. That's not the most helpful measure. So Dane, do you want to speak more to that side of things on, on nutrition and weight? Yeah, I mean, if you've listened to the podcast before or if you've worked with me or spoken to me at all about how <laughs> you probably know that I'm not a giant fan of the scale. So again, using the example of weight loss, I use this because this is the most common goal that people come to me with. The biggest mistake is using nothing but the scale to track progress. So the scale gives us a number. It gives us a number every time we stand on it. So it does give us immediate feedback and it gives us a number. It is easy to measure. And that is one of the biggest reasons why people like to use the scale because you just buy a scale and you hop on the scale and it's like, boom, instant measurement. Unfortunately, the scale does not measure body fat. Okay. It just does not. And that's really what people want to know. They don't really care about how much, you know, how much gravitational pull you have unless you're trying to make weight for competition. People want to know, you know, am I losing body fat? And scale doesn't measure that. Even if you've been sold this fancy bioimpedance scale or whatever crap that is, it just honestly, it is not accurate. It's not telling you what you think. And all it does is create a negative feedback loop. So I'll give you an example here. When I was training aggressively for strongman, I was training four or five days a week. I did a little experiment to see, okay, when do I weigh the heaviest? 
And without fail, for several weeks, I weighed myself, and I was always heaviest the days after my workouts, which is, you know, if I didn't know why, that would be very deterring for me if I was somebody who was trying to lose weight. It's like, ooh, the more I exercise, the heavier I get. That doesn't make sense, so I guess I should probably exercise less. Well, when you are working out, you are kind of beating the body up so it gets a little bit inflamed. And when the body's trying to repair itself, it is going to hold on to things like water and substrates that it needs to use to repair muscle mass, for example. So within the 24 hours after you work out, typically you're probably going to weigh a little bit heavier. And maybe on days where you didn't do any exercise, you're going to weigh lighter. So great case scenario for somebody who has a scale measuring themselves every day. It's like, well, I work less hard, I lose weight. So it creates a negative feedback loop there. Um, and a lot of good weight loss behaviors actually make you gain weight transiently. So drinking water is going to make you heavier. Eating high fiber foods, high protein foods, they're going to make you weigh heavier. And exercising regularly is going to make you weigh heavier. Again, all transiently, all very temporary. It is the long term that matters. But if you're on a scale every day and you see that you're heavier every time you do these things and you're lighter every time you, oh, I don't know, don't eat for a day which is a not a healthy thing because for every bout of restriction, we're always going to see a bounce back in binging of some way, shape, or form. That is the cycle that we always see, not picking on anybody. The brain and the body is just really smart. The longer you go without eating, the more you're going to eat when you finally start eating again. So the scale really messes with your brain and gives you this sense of false feedback. So yes, you can measure that if it's weight loss, but don't forget to measure your habits, the actual behaviors that you're doing every single day, because it's the behaviors that are going to get you there. If I ask, you know, people, if I have to ask 100 people, is water a healthy habit that can contribute to weight loss? I think 100 people would probably say yes, or 99. People know that's a healthy habit, but how many people are tracking, making sure they're getting enough water every day versus getting on the scale every day? Not as many. Same thing, are people tracking getting three servings of protein every day, which I think most people would understand is a very good weight loss habit. Very few people are tracking that. They're jumping on the scale to see what's up. People will have, you know, the, typically people will use the scale when they do something bad, when they do something they shouldn't do. You know, I had a big meal last night. Oops, hop on the scale next morning. Ah, guilt, shame cycle. There it goes again. So again, this is, we want to track habits. And because your actions are your outcomes. I think people who've worked with me have heard me say this, but what you're doing leads to what you're going to become. So if you're not tracking the things you're doing every day, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You're just kind of jumping on the scale and seeing what the number is, but you're not actually impacting that if you're not paying attention to your habits. So if you're trying to make lasagna, don't use the ingredients or the recipe for spaghetti because they're similar, but they're different. And you have to change the recipe to get desired lasagna. Good analogy. That's for all our foodies out there. <laughs> Uh, right. So I would argue that when it comes to movement, we could we could switch out measurable with methods. Uh, a lot of people get hooked on measuring with data metrics that are not centered around their body. So they get hooked into using heart rate monitors or they use activity trackers and use that as like their main gauge. They never listen to how their body feels because they just wait until the Fitbit beeps and tells them they've done enough. <laughs> Um, and I'm not mocking that. I, that is the that is what we've created. Um, and there are pros and cons to activity trackers, right? On the one hand, it can be a little bit gamified and positive and encourage us. On the other hand, it can fuel shame or it can create my 
problem with it is it can create a disconnect between the cells. So people will use sleep trackers. I do, but I don't wake up and go, I don't know how I slept until I go look at that thing. Or I don't know what I should do today until I check my HRV. That, that is way too much data tracking. You cannot put body second and data first. Same with like weight on the bar or speed. Instead of saying, I have to hit this weight, we use a lot of rate, uh, like a scale of perceived exertion. And that is way more helpful because it also teaches someone, I know that with, you know, when we're gearing for competition and stuff, yes, we have set weights and set speeds that we try to aim for. That's different when we're, we're trying to get someone who's got a health first approach versus uh, high performance first, not that high performance doesn't need health too, they do, uh, but if health first is our main priority there, then we really need to have the person in question focus more intently on how they feel every day. The path towards progress on a goal is never going to be linear anyway. We have to account for the fact that there are going to be divots. And those divots will keep increasing you upwards if you listen to how your body is doing. Instead of saying, oh, well, the whoop band told me to do this today, even though I feel like I didn't sleep super well. Okay, better go push it. Um, it's too risky. And those data points are helpful in terms of detecting patterns. I find they're especially helpful um, for, for training block to see if you're overtraining or, or whatnot. They're especially helpful too for women with regards to training around their menstrual cycle. But at the end of the day, you have to put your methods and your measure need to be body first. Measure, measurable methods. It should be smart. Smart. <laughs> Double M. <laughs> so what I say there too is, is to start small. So use small measures and, you know, not to, to really beat this to, into the ground, but we are called Move Daily for that reason, right? That small measure starts with your daily actions. So we've seen people who have really high goals, but their inputs around work and life are so such high, high stress situations that how we measure that progress with whatever the health or fitness related goal is has to be fine-tuned in accordance with those inputs. And we talked about inputs, outputs in a previous podcast, and that's really important throughout all of the measurability of your goal. So the measurability is really the methods and or process. And from that, you should really dial in what are the small ones that have a body first approach. Yes, you can say you'll go to the gym five days a week, is it smart to just do, you know, a really high intensity class that many days a week? Probably not. I don't know many humans who thrive on that. So we need to go smaller, look at the methods, mix them up, be flexible, use perceived exertion if you're not an elite athlete that needs to hit a certain time by a certain date. If you have, you know, a, a full-time job and you've got, not that athletes don't, a lot of athletes do, um, but if you've got a lot of other inputs that are taking up your time, you have to learn how to be flexible and listen to your body every single day. You will get forward and achieve your goal if you do that. Where people progress on their goal, especially if it's a new goal, you'll get early gains. Early gains builds confidence. That's great. But if those early gains weren't built off of really good measurable methods that serve your body first, then you tend to have a cliff effect of where an injury or something that starts nagging, builds up, and then just crashes, comes in. And really what we're trying to do is, is take our time. Like, it should take time. If your goal is to place first in, say, a strongman competition and you're entering the sport, work on just learning the lifts and adapting your tissues first. And 
understand that your timeline for that goal could be variable because not all of those lifts are friendly to bodies. So you may have to tweak it along the way. Same thing if it's more of an endurance-based goal. There was a boom, well, kind of still is, of people wanting to do marathons when a lot of bodies would actually feel great if they did a really solid 10K, and there's no harm in that. But, you know, we glorify certain things, and so sometimes that extreme measure just needs to be dialed right back in so that we can go with methods that put the body first, challenge us to build in the RPE. If you have extra data like heart rate, HRV, totally fine. Use it for patterns. Um, and then the one last thing here is that for women who have, um, or for people who have a regular menstrual cycle, that's one of the easiest measures. <laughs> is your cycle getting worse? Is it disappearing? Is it getting more sporadic? So that's something that you would have to get obviously blood work for and speak to your your GP and other practitioners, but that's a really easy way to get feedback from your body first. Um, pills are different. That's a pill bleed. That's not a period, so it wouldn't have the same impact because you don't have the same fluctuations, but if you have a cycle and you are not on hormonal contra contraceptives, you can use that as a really great point of measure if what you're doing, what your inputs are, are serving you or harming you, or maybe you need to adjust it a little bit to optimize everything. Yeah, that's a great one. All right, well, let's move on to A. And actually, we're going to put A and R together. R, matey? No? All right. Well, SMRT. 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 That's some Homer Simpson for anybody out there who's old. Old enough. That old show, enough. That show has been old on the enough. air for 15% of the time the United States has been a country. That is how old we are. Random stat of the day. Anyway, we lump these things together <laughs> because we feel as though they're pretty much the same. They're the same. If, you, if a goal is not realistic, it's not attainable. If a goal wasn't attainable, it probably wasn't realistic. So we think somebody was just trying to make the acronym a little bit longer and make it sound smart, but Homer Simpson nailed it. These are SMRT goals. So why is attainable realistic important? Because, of course, it means you can actually reach your goal. So that's, that's a pretty big positive. Now, the potential downfall of these is that Reality is actually constantly changing, and a lot of things are attainable, but that doesn't mean they're the right thing that you need to attain. Now, visualization versus reality is kind of the area we'd have people look at for this one, and what we mean by that is to really, you need to visualize your success, but not only visualizing your success, but visualizing the roadblocks that you might have along the way, because that is realistic. What we find is that a lot of people will, you know, visualize... What they're doing is like, I want to lose 20 pounds, so I'm going to eat chicken and broccoli at every meal, and I'm going to go to bed at 8 o'clock, and I'm never going to drink alcohol. And they have all these great visualizations of doing that. And then, you know, life hits, and none of that actually happens because they didn't anticipate the roadblocks that would come along the way. Uh, this is actually called, the name for it, mental contrasting from the book Emotional Agility. Um, and it's that you just don't, don't visualize unimpeded success. Visualize realistic roadblocks and how you're going to plan around those things. Uh, I think they, this is based on a study where they actually had people, one people just, hey, visualize your success versus other people, hey, visualize what might come up. And the people who visualized what would come up and had a you know, more difficult visualization were far more successful with their goals. So you really want to take into consideration things like financial factors, um, other taxing priorities that are stressful, social support versus potential social interference, uh, and anything like that.
Yeah, mental contrasting and visualization can go a really long way. And I've had this conversation with quite a lot of clients. Uh, it was actually a Peter Jenkins thing, I believe. Uh, essentially, you try to get down to the detail of picturing, if you've set out that goal, what does the person living that goal or achieving that goal uh, do with their time? What are their demands? What are their inputs? How often do they train? How long are their training sessions? What intensities do they exist at? What do they eat like? Do they eat out much? Do they socialize? Do they sleep? And you ask yourself all these questions. And there are clients I've had who've set out this goal. They were specific about it. Um, they said why they wanted that. They had measurable methods by which they wanted to apply them. And when it came down to it, picturing the life it would take made them miserable. They hated all of that. They were like, I don't want to not eat out every night. I don't want to, uh, you know, work out that many times. And so it means that the goal was too, too extreme. And granted, everybody is, you know, slightly different. So achieving the same goal for, you know, 10 different bodies would take 10 different ways. But at the end of the day, if it's something like lean is, is the best way to, played if it's an extreme leanness uh, I'll use an example for like a, a, a female body then in that case chasing that extreme leanness is going to require some extremes like even photos of athletes that we see they don't exist that way year-round they have wonderful fluctuations to maintain their baseline health but we don't necessarily see that because you're only seeing the photos of like when when it's at peak so in this case we're looking to ensure that someone can actually see themselves embodying whatever that is. And sure, they can change their mind along the way. The whole point of our life is to make the choices to change. But if visualizing it is something that is absolutely impossible, you just can't picture how on earth that would happen, or it's something that you realize, actually, that would make me pretty miserable, then it just needs, you need to rewind, go up to the top and rewire your goals and maybe dig deeper as to why you chose that. So, um, another another thing here in terms of encouraging the flexibility of it is that we need to be able to do that mental cost contrasting, find those obstacles so that when they happen, and this isn't someone like painting worst case scenario, but having a dose of pessimism is helpful because uh, it's not really pessimism. It's actually just dosing your optimism with reality. So you, maybe you're going to get sick. You don't know. Maybe you have little kids at kindergarten. You're probably going to get sick, <laughs> like at some point in time, at least once. And so that's a case where you're probably going to have your training regime or, or rhythm interrupted at some point. And if you have figured out where those obstacles might come up, you're not spending time worrying about them, but you're also not worried when you do encounter them. Because when you miss that week, you also realize the sky isn't falling. I just get to pick up here. This is how I'm going to pick up and recover safely and move forward with my goal. But we find people who do not allow for that and are stuck in a more rigid, narrow scope framework. When life happens, man, do they try to fight back. And fighting back against the reality of life is just not doesn't work out very well for anyone. So mental contrasting, having that objective view of like, when life happens, this is what I'm gonna do. If I get sick, great, I'm just gonna deload a little longer. Things like that go a really long way in helping someone refine and ultimately succeed and listen to their system. Which then brings us to timeline. Uh, and, and if I could just drop the T off the end, I would. Granted, competitions always have deadlines, but by and by and large, having a deadline can help a human. Um, so the pro to it is it, it 
helps you work towards something instead of leaving it as this ambiguous problem for tomorrow you. We do want someone to act now. We do want someone to commit to the process of whatever it is within their, their health goal. And setting a general timeline and deadline can be very helpful to motivate someone to keep checking in. The downside is that it puts a ton of pressure. And so when life happens, we're less flexible, perhaps mentally, because we're panicking about a deadline. So if it's a competition or a race, you have a hard and fast deadline. If it's a travel event, maybe you're going and hiking a really big mountain. Again, yes, there's a deadline there, but you have to be able to be flexible there. And if there's any sort of injury or if it's really health-based goal, even even certain skill-based goals, like screw the timeline. You just don't need it. And when it comes to rehab and injury, like oh, timelines are the worst. Just ditch them. Like focus on healing. Focus on what your body's telling you. Just stop with the timeline. You do not need to race to get back because you will get hurt again if you try to force that. But if you say, screw the timeline, I'm going to commit to what I can do every single day, trust me, you'll get there. And you'll probably find that you can celebrate those little wins because you're not so focused on, like, I need to get back to this kind of lifting. I need to get back to whatever, half bunny quotes. <laughs> um, but And that takes practice because I certainly know with a lot of my injuries, I got frustrated because they interrupted my training now what I'm going to do, okay, I've got to get back to it um, to prove my worth as a, as a human being and as a coach. And ultimately, you know, you're not in charge. Your body's just going to keep sending you signals over and over again. And sometimes it's rough. Like, I hurt myself about a week out of, uh, of a race, nationals. I still flew out to BC, but I'd worked with my sports doctor and with one of my practitioners and had some time to, to think about it. It was a mountain I had raced before. I was super excited to be racing nationals. It was such a like, great opportunity. And I didn't do it because I had just freshly torn my meniscus and labrum, meniscus knee, labrum hip. And there was so much edema in those joints that, and because I'm, I'm hyper, hyper mobile and super lax, the risk of running downhill, which I love, was just way too high. It was like, what's this worth? Why do I need to get more injured? It, and it's, that's hard because, that, yeah, that was a timeline. I had shot for it. I had qualified for it. Like, all the steps were there. And I had to take into account what reality was serving up. And I had to pause. So instead, I used that time to just, like, go on gentle hikes and visit friends. And was it a totally different trip than anticipated? For sure. Was it crazy disappointed? Yes. But... Um, we always want to check in those timelines that we set. If reality is telling us that life's going to be better if we take a different path, then we should take them. So that's on the movement side of things. Yeah, that sums it up nicely. And for those counting at home, we have essentially gotten rid of two letters here. So really, these are smur goals, really? No? No takers? because well, the timeline's <laughs> okay, but it's sometimes not needed. You yeah, know. It, it needs to be there to, like, be there. Hmm. You know, some goals, like you said, they're on a timeline. Now, And even a, then, we might need to scrap it. <laughs> we might need to scrap it. And timelines, I guess it's a takeaway from timeline. It's be flexible with your timelines. You, you know, when it comes to injury, that's going to jump into place. And life happens. When it comes to nutrition, so the weight loss goal that we spoke about, Again, a lot of people will set a timeline on their weight loss goal because, for example, they've seen SMART goals and they know that for a goal to be a goal, you have to have a set timeline. 
And sometimes that timeline will be crazy short relative to how someone actually lives their life and the disconnect is insane. And then sometimes that goal is really far away and then it doesn't have any type of urgency within the process to actually start getting things moving in the right direction. So to go hand in hand with what I said earlier about how your actions are your outcomes, I also like to say your present is your future. Like what you're doing today is what's going to happen in the future. And with weight loss, there are, so, there are so many factors that impact that. And that's why weight loss to me is not a great goal. This goes right back up to specificity and the why behind that goal. So if you're going to come to me and tell me you want to lose 20 pounds, what I need to know is what does that 20 pounds mean to you, right? Like what does it mean? Why is it important? Especially if you tell me you need it in three months. Like, okay, well, well, where does that come from? What is the root of where that's coming from? And when you have a setback, how are you going to respond to the fact that you've now put a three-month timeline on it, yet the first time, you know, this week you're going back to the gym for the first time and you tweak your hamstring or something. Now are you going to allow that guilt-shame cycle to take full force and be like, ah, it wasn't worth trying to begin with? Or are you going to remain curious and compassionate? Because when it comes to something like health, you have to be curious and you have to be compassionate because things are going to happen. Something's going to happen with the kids. It's going to throw off. You couldn't get to the gym that day. Maybe you had to work late, so you had to delay dinner till later. All sorts of things are going to happen and they're going to throw you a little wrench. So it's not about making sure you hit that timeline that you set for yourself that for most people, if it's just weight loss, it's an arbitrary timeline. It's just because you know you had to have a timeline. But instead of that, it's know how you're going to bounce back. Know how you're going to deal with adversity. And that is going to get you to your goal as quickly as possible. And along the way, as long as you maintain that type of curiosity, you're going to make sure that your goal remains specific to your values and you're not going to kind of dive into that guilt shame, which will leave you back at square one. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, this comes down to like celebrating small choices and small improvements every single day and um, I'm paraphrasing a quote I heard recently but essentially we make unconscious choices every single day and call it fate and at any point in time we have the option we have the choice to interject and make choices consciously and that's what so much of, of goal achievements are about is making those choices to change habits are very helpful until they're ones that are health stealing ones, um, or until they're no longer serving us. Maybe they've become too rigid. Maybe they're so automatic, like brushing your teeth every day. That's a pretty good automatic one. Yeah, we can say that that's a good automatic one. But I've said this before, your recipe for how you live is going to have to change. So the more you can make conscious choices, the better off you'll be, and the more aware and appreciative of your process you'll be. When you continue to make unconscious choices and just call it fate, oh, this is just what happens to people in my family. I don't know that that's the case. Um, It certainly has happened, maybe the last two generations, but there's, there's always an ability to create a little bit more awareness around one aspect or multiple aspects of your health and then challenge yourself to see, is this something I would like to change? And so working through the acronym, uh, working with the whys, the why nots, and how to be flexible can really help you dial in. And maybe you use the SMR 
Maybe you do a smurgles. <laughs> I don't know. But we've walked you through a bunch of them. And based on your goals, it might be that you use some of the acronym and not all of it because you ditch the timeline. But suffice it to say, the more we make conscious choices, the less we feel that things are happening to us and to our health, and the more we are empowered to know when we have to change something or what choices we're actively making. Yeah, and that... <clears throat> that bit right there about consciousness and how much of that is in your daily life. It gives you agency over your outcomes. The more you try and outsource things, the harder things get for you because you're not taking responsibility or agency for those things. So again, Frey just kind of summarized that a bit, but if we can give you guys some homework, it is to, when you're setting smart goals, use those two filters. Why, why not? And how can you stay flexible when life throws you a curveball? So if there's key things that you're looking for from each of those acronyms um, with S, Again, it's specificity, know your values, know your why and your motivations, and make it specific to your lifestyle and your needs. M, measure, don't just measure your outcomes. Measure your habits and methods. Start small and build up. For A, R, R, remember mental contrasting. Understand how future you lives and the roadblocks that this person may face. So be ready to adapt and focus on want to actions rather than have to actions. And finally, with T, the timeline, forget your timeline or at least be flexible with it because your body is going to make the rules. Um, Be engaged with your process every single day. Stay patient, be self-compassionate, and be curious because that's how you're going to persevere through times of adversity. All right, well, that is all we have for you guys today. Tune in next time when we talk about something else health-related. Catch you later. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.